wow, I get to live the fantasies that I have that I wouldn't normally have access to. I get to be with queer men who have, you know, invisible disabilities. Some have mental health stuff. Some have addiction stuff. You know, I get to be with these communities and be like, oh, we're all different, but we're all taking care of each other in one way or another. Welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to queer sexuality and disability. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I am joined by my, oh, you're very smiley, my smiley (laughs) co-host, Robin. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm having a pretty good day. Maybe that's why I'm smiley. I'm also trying to be more aware of video. (laughs) (laughs) because I think I have like resting bitch face sometimes when I'm just listening and now that we're doing YouTube videos I'm like all right try to try to not scowl when you're listening (laughs) well the smile looks good on you so I am not complaining (laughs) what's giving you you a fuck yeah right now Okay, so I had a weird travel through time, LA's a small town kind of experience where I was at Cruise last weekend, which is the queer leather night at the leather bar. And I was hanging out with all the friends and stuff and having a great time. And there was someone across the room that kept catching my eye. I'm like, I think I know this person, but I think that often. I did this to a celebrity once where I'm like, I know you. I know you from somewhere. And we went through all of our different places that we could have known each other. And then later I realized it was fucking television. So I do not approach people that I think I know. Eventually they approached me though. And they were like, I think I know you. And I was like, I think I know you. And they were like, what's your name? And I was like, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, well, it's either Robin or you might know me as Mary. And they looked at me when I said Mary and they were like, Mistress Mary. And I was like, hell yeah. They said, you used to work at my grandmother's dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God, Shardy? Chardonnay? (gasps) Their name is Chardonnay? (laughs) Amazing. I mean, oh my gosh. So many questions. So many questions and they are a they, them now. They're super queer. They volunteered for Dyke Day a couple oh. years in a row. And I'm like, Shardy, <laughs> I helped Chardonnay with their portfolio when they were a teenager to get into art school. And I just, I mean, they never came into the dungeon, but when I was working at the dungeon, Shardy was was a teenager and living with their grandmother and mother. Their grandmother is my kink mother. So I was invested in my relationship with yeah. Deborah, Bunny, Hillary. <laughs> Her grandmother has three different names. Um, and I 
just loved them so much. But since I started my own family, I stopped working at the dungeon and just, you know, my mother died and it was COVID and just so many different things were happening. I have not talked to Bunny in probably 15 years. She was, I don't know, it was just so bizarre. And so Shardy, we caught up on so many different things and we gossiped about all the doms that we know and stuff. And they're an artist and they're successful in their career and they're super queer. And I was just, it was amazing experience. And they said, you know, uh, Bunny would love it if you called her. And so I did the next day I called her oh. up and I got to reminisce with Bunny. Anyway, I told her that I, next season we'd love to have her on the podcast and just, oh, girl, yes. listen, Bunny, if she was a pro submissive in the 80s. Okay, in the 80s in L.A., all of the drama of the different houses in the 80s and what it was like to be a pro sub in the 80s. I just think that's a wealth of historical information that I would love to hear about. And then we just love each other so much. She gushes. I was her favorite child and she was my favorite mom. And it was just to reminisce about the aughts, like the 2000s and what it was like to own an establishment then. And I was like in my twenties being a dom, like I would love to hear her perspective about that era. And then they just closed recently. They did not make it very far out of COVID. And for her, she was telling me just the scene is so different and she's old school and she hates to let it go. And she's sad Mm. about the closing of the dungeon. I mean, she ran it for like 25 years. And before Mm. that, she worked at it for like 10 or 15 years. So it is her heart connection. And I would just love to talk to her about all of that stuff. So, Oh my gosh. Yes. Anyway, it was an amazing experience of one of those things where you're in this huge city but you, certain people just come back to you. We're magnetically attracted to each other. Yeah, but just to like see them and to make that heart connection over time and distance and I don't know, just people come right back into your life. So I'm happy to also reconnect with with Bunny. So oh my gosh, anyway, I love it. Warm and fuzzies over time and space. It was cool. Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, you said that you have approached celebrities and thought that you <laughs> yeah. knew them. And I that I was like, okay, I just have to share a quick story because it is such a funny LA moment. Mm. So at Pleasure Chest, one time when I was out on the floor, someone came in to get poppers. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Look, I, I looked at them a little too long, you know, in that way mm-hmm. where it gets awkward. And then I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm staring at this person. And like, they're just trying to get their poppers. And I am also like, very sensitive to the fact that when you're making that kind of purchase, like it is yeah. not helpful to, you know, have someone kind of like recognize you or yes. acknowledge you. But yeah. like it had already gotten awkward because I'd looked at them for too long. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And like, as the statement was right. coming out of my mouth, I realized that they are like an incredibly, very well-known film actor. And I, I'm not going to say who they are. I was like eating my words as they were coming out mm-hmm. of my mouth. And then I had to be like, I, you know, never mind. Sorry. What? Just let me, let, I'm going to just get your. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Totally, How did they react? They were very bashful. 
Oh, yeah. Because they were just like, I just want my proper. Uh, we digress. Yeah. We do digress. I'm very excited for who we have on today. You introduced me to Andrew through the podcast, and it's just what a wonderful human being. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited for folks to listen to this episode. You've done more of the like, I'm going to reach out and just see if someone will come and talk to us. And Andrew and I have a loose connection because we both teach as part of the Sex Educator Certification Program, Everyone mm. Deserves Sex Ed, also known as EDC. And so I was like, you know what, that's my in. I'm going to ask and just see what they say. Andrew is the host of Disability After Dark. It is a really fantastic podcast. They are a much more accomplished podcaster than we are. Like they've done over 300 episodes (laughs) at this point, but really like an eye-opening, educational and entertaining podcast. Mm -hmm. I really recommend that folks give it a listen. And Andrew is also an award-winning disability awareness consultant and has just done a lot of work writing, teaching, presenting, speaking on sex and disability. So Andrew is severely disabled. That is how they identify online from what I've seen. So I'm sure we'll hear about that. And they're queer. So Andrew is just someone who lives and works at the intersection of a couple of really marginalized identities. And I'm really interested in hearing from them about how they navigate that and just talking to them kind of in general about their journey, their sexual journey. Really excited that we got to have a peek into their world. Let's dive in with Andrew Gerza. Andrew, welcome. We are excited to have you here. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We would like to warm you up a little before we get into our other questions but so i was wondering what is your favorite thing to wear right now clothing or otherwise i have a shirt that i bought that's so silly a shirt that i bought for myself that is a cartoon of two geese fist bumping (laughs) and it says goosebumps and i love it so it's my favorite thing to wear it makes me so silly and happy it's like i love it so i wear it all the time i I love love it so much because i look down i just giggle at how silly it is I love that. It seems like a good conversation starter as well. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like, it's just really funny. I, I'm the, the older I get, the like, I understand the dad thing now. I'm like, oh, I just want to be a silly, like, <laughs> dad person. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like to wear jokes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, much. I like to wear silly jokes. That make yeah. Smile a little bit. I love it. A little bit of joy for everyone. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity crush? Honestly. Yes. Weird again. Another cartoon. Do you remember the fox from Robin Hood? Okay. Look, I had a crush on that fox too. You're just <laughs> bringing the... that up. That was a sexy fucking fox. He was so hot. And hot. I found out later he was super queer. The guy who voiced him was super queer and like was married to a guy all that time. And that makes like, so much sense. I was like, no wonder I wanted you. No wonder <gasps> I was going to use. Because he did have a little switch. He was so queer. Oh, my God. But he yeah. was like, he was confident. 
And he like, knew what he wanted. He a was little bit like, fly and he like knew how to like make you like him. Yeah. That was my yeah. first cartoon celebrity crush. <gasps> if we're talking about a person, John Stamos, Full House, nineteen eighty six. Oh yes. I yes. mean, let's just go right there. John Stamos, Full House. John Stamos today, right now. Like, yeah, he is but, frozen in time, isn't he? <laughs> you know what, though? The Fox and John Stamos are cut from the same cloth. I mean, that's I mean, very you know, similar. I, Uncle, I can't wait like, to put them Uncle side Jesse by side. Was my jam, yeah. What was your first mode of masturbation? Finger, thumb, quiet what? nights. They're, they're like <laughs> finger, Ooh. thumb in my bed alone. That, like, oh, like, yeah, I, yeah. you know, and I'll talk about it later. I've lost the ability to masturbate because of this, my disability. And the spasticity of my hands, I have spastic cerebral palsy, so I can't really jerk off anymore. But from 12 to like 32, that was my jam. Just like me and my thumb, everybody's asleep. I'm in bed. No one's going to bother me. I can just rub one out. Yeah. And now with my hands being how they are, I I can try to do it, but it hurts after like five minutes. I just had to stop because I was like, well, I don't want to damage the muscles. And like, but I do feel a sense of like, lost because that was something that I would do for not only my enjoyment but also to sleep or to like yeah be comfortable yeah and just experience pleasure in your own body yeah yeah the thing that stood out to me when you said that was quiet nights Mm. and that made me wonder if like if that sort of quiet time for you is really precious like I find myself being someone who like really wants to be surrounded by people Robin is like, oh my gosh, nothing is better than just <laughs> yes. quiet alone time. Yes. Um. So I, I don't know. It just really stood out. The quiet nights plus the thumb and the method seem to be in conversation with each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm weird. I like people, but I also like my own space. Like I'll, I have moments mm-hmm. where I'm totally extroverted and can do the party thing and can do the professional disability awareness thing and can do all that. But when I'm by myself, like I'm throwing on Angela Lansbury, like murder she wrote, like <laughs> and just jamming out to that by myself. And then occasionally I'll throw on like a porn in between them there and like, you know, mm-hmm. have my alone time. But I really enjoy like both. But as I get older, the idea of a roommate or the idea of like another person in my space is like, ew, why would I ever No, <laughs> no, thank you. No thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. The older I get, I'm like space. Yeah. Give me just my like space. Get- it's like, I like you, but get the fuck away from me, please. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I heard um, a question on your podcast, Andrew, and I'm going to steal it. Cool. Can you uh, share with listeners what your disabilities are and how they affect your day? Sure. I, it's so weird hearing my own question paired back to me. Cool. <laughs> uh, my disabilities are spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, neurogenic bowel, Depression, anxiety. Hey, what up? Hey. Uh, but my main my main disabilities are spastic quadriplegic CP, and how it affects my day is that I need help to get up, I need help to dress, I need help to be fed, I need help to use the bathroom, I need help to wipe my ass, I need help to jerk off. Basically, I need help for like everything that you would think you want to do independently. I need somebody for, mm-hmm. and so it affects my day. 1000% wholly entirely it is it makes up my identity a thousand percent because I need somebody for everything I do mm-hmm. yeah it's almost like that's not how does that affect your day that's the question more is how does that rule your day yeah like I like this the where we're recording now is like the one couple hours I have where like 
My care is done. I don't need anything. Like I'm not having a bathroom issue. I'm set. So like I'm because I usually have from eight thirty to ten o'clock every day. I have somebody in here getting me up, and then at, at one o'clock I have lunch, and then at five o'clock I have dinner, and then at ten o'clock again I have bed. So like there's a roster of people in and out of here all the time, which mm-hmm. I'm very appreciative for. But it's very hard to find moments when you're like alone by yourself. Yeah. And you were just talking about how important that time is for you. Yeah. So like from two to five every day is my, is me like time to get work done, time to have meetings, time to do everything. Cause I know that nobody will be in here, like not intending to bother me, but offering me care. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. And I think disability is this part of, you know, the conversation is so about intersectionality right now and disability seems from my, from what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you have a much more stronger awareness of this, but it seems to be like invisible most of the time in the intersectional conversation. And it's not until one of, you know, somebody has an injury that they start even thinking about how mobility and accessibility impacts so many people, but it's almost like it's hidden away in individual homes and not part of the conversation. So I really appreciate you being out there and talking about this because it's only helping all of us. Thank you. I mean, I think it's invisibilized because we're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. We have hundreds and hundreds of years of disability being something we're meant to be afraid of mm-hmm. from like, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact years, but from like the late 1800s, I think 1874 to 1974, something like that. There were these laws in the world called the ugly laws, and they were basically ah. designed for anybody who looked a certain way to be removed off the streets and arrested. So if you wow. looked a certain if you looked different from the norm, you were arrested and guess who that fell on? disabled mm-hmm. folks so we mm-hmm. have this long history of disability being seen as something to be ashamed of afraid of something to overcome or rehab through like there's and that's a really quick rush through history but we have this long standing idea of what disability is supposed to be and the reason it is an afterthought is because we don't consider the fact that if we're lucky enough to live long enough, we will encounter disability mm-hmm. at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it and to confront that in ourselves is terrifying. And that's why we would rather hide it away or hide it because we know that society is not going to look at it favorably. And so we don't talk about it. But for me, I have no choice. I am, and I've just started using this term quite openly on my social media, I am severely disabled. I need mm-hmm. help with all parts of my day. And I, I'm not going to not talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. What I see is that you talk about it very open heartedly. And like many things with the internet, sometimes that makes people really mad. Oh, yeah. People don't like me, and that's fine. Like, what for what? I, I'm people, sorry. I'm unaware of this aspect of. Oh, well, people just don't, they don't like that I say severely disabled. They don't like that I work in sexuality and disability. They don't like that I have said certain things they don't agree with. like, And these are other disabled folks that are really like not, hmm. that just don't like what I want to say. And that's fine. And I'm happy for you to feel that way. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. Because right. I know that something I've said will help somebody else. 
Yeah. And that's something to keep doing. Feels like it has these roots a little bit in the invisibility piece that you were just talking about. That like yeah. that is how people are more accustomed to like, no, why don't but we don't need to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't need to hear about your bathroom things or like and I talk about my IBS and my like bowel stuff all the time because I'm severely disabled when that happens. I need somebody to help me clean up and shower and do all these things. And there's shame associated with that. There's mm-hmm. shame associated with my body. And like, because I'm a queer person, like a queer male red person, I'm not binary, but I'm red as male. When I'm red that way, there's this assumption that we're supposed to be down to fuck all the time and down to have like instant sex and down to be like sexy immediately. And so when my body betrays me like that, I want to talk about it because I know there are other people living with severe disabilities who are having similar issues around their body and their body image. I want to point out real quickly also the timeline that you were talking about for these like quote unquote ugly laws and everything also coincides with uh, the industrial revolution, right? So, and it does seem like capitalism Capitalism. wants to get rid of what does not serve it. So does white supremacy and patriarchy and persons with disability do not serve the machine. So, and I feel like that's part of what we're trying to overcome also is we don't want to be in the machine. We are human beings and we all count. We're all magical beings that happen to be on this rock hurtling through space. Like, can we make some room, you know? Yeah. And I like these magical beings because it makes makes me think of like people say that disabled folks are magical and inspiring. And so like, I'm always like, no, we're not magical. We're human beings. Yeah. And we make mistakes. We fuck up and we say the wrong thing and we deserve love and empathy and all those things. And people always say, people always want to lionize us. Mm. And I, I get it, but I'm also like, no, we're just, I make mistakes too. Yeah. I think we need like, we need to be given the the nuance and the allowances to make mistakes and be like, oh, sorry, let me fix that. Yeah. But like, I think the system needs to be overhauled and start again. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that's not going to happen overnight. Right. So I try to give people, the everyday person who's mm-hmm. trying to learn and who maybe will put their foot in their mouth and say something ableist and say something awful and not mean to, to be like, oh, let's consider trying again mm-hmm. yeah let's try let's just try again or try try next time i think disabled people are angry and rightfully so yeah but i think also the anger is sometimes misplaced and mm-hmm. if you're angry all the time you don't allow somebody to grow if i said to the two of you today that oh my goodness you're both ableists like fuck off i'm gonna leave now and mm-hmm. i disappeared and i ended with you're ableists have i taught you anything or have i just yelled at you Mm-hmm. My take is like, yeah, you can be angry and rightfully so, but what are you doing to change that anger? What are you doing to mm-hmm. mobilize that anger into something positive? And so for me, and I only speak for me, but for me, I didn't want to be angry anymore because it was too damn depressing. Kind of took my activism in a place of like, let me give you the tools to not be ableist. Let me do that for you by making posts about my dis- my disabled life and putting them up there and hoping they resonate with you. And then also giving you the tips and tricks to, to not be ableist, but also giving you the grace to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I try to do that every day and I don't do it every day. Sometimes I'm like, fuck you, this is horrible. But I try really hard to be like, if it were me and I didn't know anything about your disability and I just wanted to learn, 
and I didn't mean to hurt you, but I said something ableist. And Andrew came back and screamed at me, would I be learning or would I shut down? And I've had friends say, like, when they yell at me about ableist things I've done or call me an ableist, I don't learn. I shut down. Mm -hmm. It's very generous of you to do all of this and and to be so kind towards people's um, prejudices and ignorance. I think it's really me protecting my peace. Because mm-hmm. I could go off and be angry and I could do that. And I, there are activists that live on that track and I say, good for them. Do your thing. Fight the fight. I don't want to fight anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to put my weapons down. I'm too old. I'm too mm-hmm. tired to be. I'm almost 40, which doesn't feel old. But to me, it feels like I'm a million. You know, I, I don't want to fight with you. I want to sit across from you and say, let's talk about stuff together and let's work it out. I want to build the bridge between the non-disabled community and the disabled community. Mm -hmm. And I want to do that through kindness. Like, that's it. That's literally all I want to do. And that's how bridges are built, really. Yeah. 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 I'm curious about your experiences in queer spaces. But first, I'd love to know what your coming out journey was like. Oh, yeah. Well, which one? Uh, (laughs) I love that you say that there's multiple because we do have to come out and into ourselves multiple times. I wish I could come multiple times. Um... Anyway, sidebar. Uh, <laughs> my coming out story. Well, my initial one, and I, I love this story. I was a kid of the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. I just two weeks before my 16th birthday, I was watching Queer as Folk, the original Queer as Folk, mm-hmm. on a like bootlegged DVD that somebody recorded for me. And I was secretly watching it in my house, like hoping that nobody walked in my room. And I definitely, I had known long before that that I was queer, but I didn't want to say anything because I was shy and scared. And all of the pamphlets that I had seen around 1999 to 2000 were like, were like, it's okay to be gay, but there was no, it's okay to be gay and disabled. And all the Mm. things were like, be prepared for your family to kick you out. Be Mm. prepared for, Mm. you need to find somewhere to stay. Be Mm. prepared to be ousted from your life. And that's what I was reading. So, and I, all I could think was, I'm really fucking disabled. How am I going to tell them that I'm queer too? Wow. The stakes are so much higher. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. And so I was like really scared that my family wouldn't accept me, which is silly because my mom was a product of the seventies and like a hippie and like lived all over the world and like super like so, so supportive of, of queerness. So when I finally came out to her, I remember it clear as day. I was sitting in the kitchen after dinner and she said to me, you know, you haven't talked in two weeks. Is something wrong? Are you are you gay or something? Because I've been mor- I've been like morose and a, a like angsty teenager. And she goes, "Is something wrong? Are you gay or something?" And I went, "Uh, yeah." And she went, "Oh, I know." I expected her to like give me a big story about how I shouldn't be that way and it's wrong and blah 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 blah. My aunt's gay. I have queerness in my family, mm-hmm. so. She, my mom right away was like, oh, okay. And she sat me down. She made me a comfort food. She made me honey and yogurt, which is my like favorite food since I was little. Oh. Honey and yogurt. And I, we had a big cry. And then she said, so when you watch a sex scene, do you watch Brad Pitt or do you watch the girl? I said, obviously, I watch Brad Pitt. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. What she said in that talk was, I love you and I'm so glad you told me, but I want to kind of warn you that queer men are not going to know how to deal with you, are not going to know how to handle your disability. I just want you to be ready for that when 
you start exploring this more when you were like away from me and when you go to school and when you have all this life experience, queer men are not going to know what to do with you. Just get ready for that. And I, at the time I was like, no, you're fine. Whatever. I'll, it'll be fine. But I'm so glad she told me because the minute I started accessing sexuality and trying to get laid and trying to fuck and do all these things, I immediately bumped up against ableism mm-hmm. and I still do 20 years on from that experience like some 24 years from coming out, I still have to deal with ableism within the community. And it's, it's really, really hard. It's still an issue for people. Yeah. I, you know, I have some ideas of what your response to this next question is going to be, because I I don't think that queer communities Mm -mm. as a whole have really tackled a lot of the isms that exist no. when mm-hmm. within our conditioning and our programming, right? Like we are just as susceptible to be influenced by patriarchal standards, by Misogyny, white supremacists. Racism, yes, all of it, right? Yeah. So I am really interested in how your identity as a queer person and as a severely disabled person intersex and if you are able to access queer spaces with ease if the disability spaces that you are integrated into are like open to queerness unfortunately a lot of queer spaces that i've tried to access are inaccessible i live in downtown Mm -hmm. toronto and the biggest stretch we have of queerness is 10 minutes from me church and wellesley where like every queer person in toronto goes to do everything the clubs, the sex, the community, it's all there. But most of the spaces are inaccessible. And yeah. so that's really frustrating to be like, oh, I can't even go to on a Friday night to like my favorite club. Not that I would right now because we're in a pandemic. But mm-hmm. if I wanted to, and I'm, and I'm also shy and awkward and don't like leaving the house because I'm old. But if I wanted to, I couldn't. And that's mm-hmm. frustrating because like, where do you meet community queer spaces? Where do you like learn about your sexuality for real queer spaces where do you like have your first real crush who might like you back queer spaces Mm -hmm. i've never really had the chance to do any of that and so i say this all the time i often feel like i'm 39 but also 19 but also like Mm -hmm. nine years old but also like 12 because these experiences don't haven't come in like a linear trajectory like most of us they've been really jumbled and really like mismatched for me um, and then in disabled spaces, um, I haven't really felt allowed to be queer. Mm, I haven't really felt yeah. allowed to be fully myself. And mostly queer, mostly disabled spaces, when we talk about sexuality, it's mostly spinal cord injury and white disabled men. Mm. So for me as a queer disabled person, like severely disabled person, and usually in disabled spaces, it's white disabled men with spinal cord injury who can who have a certain level of mobility that they can do things independently mm-hmm. i don't have that so i feel like in disabled spaces i don't really fit either i never really fit which can sometimes be hard but it's also a blessing because i i i'm like well good i don't have to fit your mm-hmm. your monochromatic idea of what i'm supposed to be in either side i won't fit either of your boxes i'll just be myself and that's that's hard, but I also kind of enjoy being being the outlier in that way. Mm-hmm. I like the word monochromatic in this in, in describing that. It's like you're you are a more colorful person 
you don't fit into just the one category. You require, uh, you know, a wider spectrum to encompass your experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you had, I mean, have there been a couple outliers for you where you're like, oh, I found this space and it, you know, was life giving for me? Honestly, sex work has Mm. been a great space for me to explore my sexuality and to learn that I can be a sexual being and to learn that I can be attracted to people and to learn that like, yes, it's transactional and yeah, I'm paying the money. That doesn't mean they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean like, and I that space that. has been transformative for me because like, wow, I get to live the fantasies that I have that I don't, wouldn't normally have access to. I get to be with queer men who have, you know, invisible disabilities. Some have mental health stuff. Some have addiction stuff. Some have, you know, I get to be with these communities and be like, oh, we're all different, but we're all taking care of each other in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you called out in the very beginning depression, anxiety mm-hmm. as, you know, part of how you're thinking about your disability. And I, I feel like there's been a lot of movement and awareness building around mental health. Mm-hmm. I guess I wonder, like, is there a path there where we start having more awareness and visibility around physical disabilities as well yes the path is hire more disabled therapists period Mm -hmm. the path Mm -hmm. is make therapy accessible online and (laughs) and make it accessible financially too like Mm -hmm. i can't afford 90 bucks an hour to sit and talk to you i can maybe afford 40 bucks an hour 50 bucks an hour but 90 to 190 bucks an hour for you to tell me mostly what i know already i Mm -hmm. or for me to sit and explain ableism to the therapist I don't want to do mm-hmm. that. If I'm explaining it to you, shouldn't I be getting paid? What? Is, yeah. like, what? <laughs> so like, I feel like mental health supports need to be accessible in two ways. Hire disabled therapists, make it accessible online and make it actually financially accessible by providing the first, the first two or three for free. And then you go from there. Yeah. And I think, oh, I mean, in the way you're talking about how sex work has impacted your life, It really, I know this is like a stretch way beyond what the world will actually do for us, but it should be included in your healthcare. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's there. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing for your physical and mental well-being. And I, you know, it's funny as you record this, I'm going to have a session with one of my workers tonight Mm -hmm. that I haven't seen since before the pandemic. Wow. I'm excited for you. Me too. And I just said to him, like, hey, it's been a while. Like, do you, you want to, like, have a session? And, like, it, we're probably going to just lie there and talk about our lives and then get off. And then yeah. I'll be like, cool, I'll bug you again. Like, it's, so, it's not always about this super intense sexual experience mm-hmm. I see all the time. And I've been working with now for six and a half, almost seven years, I think. And we he comes over for overnights. So we'll sleep over and we'll watch. Bob's Burgers, go to sleep, (laughs) we'll wake up at like four in the morning, we'll have a jerk off session, and then he'll leave. And that's literally our session. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just sometimes nice to have a body in the bed and somebody there Mm -hmm. who who wants to be there. And also for me, it's not so much about like being the like physicality. It's like, oh, I get to have a naked man in my bed. This is important for me because I never Mm -hmm. get to do this because I live live alone. I live by myself. Mm -hmm. So to have another body in there. Sometimes it's like, wow, this is nice. 
Yeah. And the way that you were talking about the pay stuff with talk therapists, I'm just like that you have to pay full price also for that kind of body connection. It just should be a part of your insurance. I know we're really far away from that, but I'm just going to reiterate, you shouldn't have to, you should have help with that, you know, because that's a fundamental thing, you know, that's a core value and it shouldn't be based on whether or not you have the income. No. And and I mean, this, the sex worker deserves to get paid and, and I deserve to have this, like both things are true. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm very privileged that in the work that I get to do as a speaker, yes, hire me. I'll speak for you. (laughs) Some of that money goes to groceries. Some of that money goes to rent and some of that goes to Dick. And like, Mm -hmm. it's a really important thing for me. And I, you know, I said to my sex worker the other day over text, I was like, I don't know what I would do without you because you really make me feel whole in my in my sexuality. And that's really, it's hard because part of me still has these old archaic ideas in my head sometimes of like, why can't I have sex the normal way? Why can't I mm-hmm. meet somebody the normal way? Like, why do I have to pay 250 or 350 an hour for intimacy? And that's, as a disabled person, like, that's hard because... Mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of us live on fixed income. We don't have mm-hmm. the privileges that I do. Um, I'm very privileged in my in my whiteness and my ability to do what I do because of my whiteness, because of my ability to speak. But a lot of disabled folks who want the same things I have access to can't access that. There needs to be a way of like making it all accessible because it's all yeah. like sex work saved my saved my sex life really mm-hmm. before i started seeing sex workers i wasn't happy having sex i didn't like my body i mean i definitely have days where i still don't like my body but to know that like every few months i can have somebody in my bed and have a night of like fun and know that if i want to if i want to like spend the night blowing this dude i can do that like that's it's kind of nice to have that option with yeah. somebody also that i built a seven to eight year trust with Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love this world where uh, we could get prescriptions for t- yeah. starvation. A dick like prescription. I want to envision that world. <laughs> so you were mentioning earlier that, you know, you've got a couple slots of time every day that are really for you because you've got a lot of people coming in and out of your space. And I'm wondering for folks who are listening who have caregivers, like, how have you navigated your caregiver relationships while also being such a vibrant sexual person who's out, who's queer, who's non-binary, and you're expressing your sexuality in this really wholehearted way? Uh, how do you navigate that with your caregivers? Great question. Very carefully. Um, and with every caregiver, my relationship is a little bit different. Some caregivers I can make a joke about, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow a dude later, hot. <laughs> some I some I can like not like it's, it's very tenuous. So you have to be really careful because it, because it's my home, but it mm-hmm. simultaneously is their workplace. Mm-hmm. So you have to make them feel safe. And so I just most staff don't know that I'm non-binary. I don't I don't make them call me by my my pronouns in my home. I, I let them say whatever they're comfortable with because I'm like you know what I'm not gonna jam up your day mm-hmm. because I want you to use a certain pronoun it's just faster if you just use whatever you think which is probably he which is fine which is one of my pronouns anyway so I don't jam them up but I have care workers where I've had to try masturbation toys or like stuff that I can be like hey we're friendly 
would you like put me in bed so I can jerk off with this toy? Mm-hmm. And they'll do it. But it can be, you really have to know like who's comfy and who's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is your screening process for that? Do you just sort of get a feel after working with somebody like, okay, we have a good rapport or do you have specific questions that you ask? I don't hire the staff where I live. The staff are hired by the agency in the building. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a say in who comes. So when they come, I try to be as open and as like myself as possible while also recognizing that they're, it's their workplace. Don't freak them out. Like don't be mm-hmm. too intense there. Like don't have porn on when they're walking in your house to like help you do <laughs> stuff. But knowing that they're a person too, but if I'm comfortable with them, I can say like, hey, I'm having sex tonight. Can you help me like wash my junk before I see this person? Can you help me like clean it up before they get here? Mm-hmm. I have no problem asking for that. But it it can be really, just be so careful because you want to make sure that they feel comfy in their workplace too. Yeah. Everything that is coming through and what you're sharing is just this compassion and grace that you mm-hmm. give and also want to receive. And mm-hmm. the reciprocity of it is just really um, uh, amazing. You mentioned testing toys. I'm curious, do you have some toys that you love? Uh, I like anything with vibration, but really since working with sex workers, toys don't do it for me anymore. Mm. I need the, I need the human, like mm-hmm. I need to know somebody's responding to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I don't, it doesn't turn me on really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I tend to be that way too, that like the an energy exchange. Like I need to like slow breath. I need to like, mm-hmm. oh, you're, oh, I'm seeing some physical reactions. Oh, you're like getting sweaty oh you're moaning for me you like that that's like, i need that to be okay i'm doing good here they like this because i have a lot of body dysmorphia around my body not being good enough so if i'm just mm-hmm. with a toy and because my body's been so medicalized for most of my life it's really hard to be like oh yeah andrew you're so hot like i don't see myself that way i don't think any of us do but i especially don't see myself as like this hot piece of ass to like get with especially with the toy so when I'm with somebody when I'm with my worker and they get turned on or they want me to like touch them or they like and I know that I understand that being a sex worker is a little bit of an act they have to put on a little bit of like fantasy because that's what they're there for but I really like it when 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 they're responding to something I'm doing they're like okay good my super severely disabled body made this person hard great awesome I'm doing good here mm-hmm. and I think it's you seem to be a lover of reciprocity, you know, and that's really part do. of what it is that you, it's a two way street for you. So. Yeah. And a lot of people that I'm with sometimes who are, who, who are not workers tend to think, Oh, I'm just going to get this disabled guy off and then I'm done. And mm-hmm. I'm always like, no, I want to, like, I want to get you off. I want to know what makes you enjoy this moment. It's not just about me. It's about you too. And I, I want to know what gives me pleasure is that they get pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I will say I was a pro dom for a decade in my twenties and it's a different line of sex work than what you're talking about. But yeah. there were so many clients that I had a heart connection with and that yes, we were doing what they wanted to do, but that I just was happy that they would come to me as an outlet. There were so many people that were in the closet about their kinks and I was the only person in their life that knew about it. And I honored that I felt honored that they would come to me with that. And so I think that your relationship 
with your sex workers is very genuine and real and, and beautiful. I'm glad that you're doing that. Yeah, I'm so privileged and so lucky that I get to do it. It is some of the most powerful stuff to just be with somebody and to have them see my naked, crippled, disabled body and be like, yeah, that's hot. Let's do things. Like That's mm-hmm. really important. And I only get to do that every few months. When it happens, I'm so excited for days before because I'm like, wow, I get, to, yeah. get to, like, I get to do it. But now I'm struggling with, we talked earlier about my masturbation. Because mm-hmm. I can't jerk off and because I can't build up that stamina, sometimes they'll touch me mm-hmm. and I'll come and be done. And then that's frustrating because I'm like, cool, I just spent all this money mm-hmm. to have you be here and now, now my body's not cooperating. So learning to like, find pleasure in, in other stuff of mm-hmm. like not necessarily sex of like cuddling with them or watching Bob's burgers or just lying naked in the bed and not worrying so much about what I'm expected to do here is it's been a learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I bet everyone please find a sex worker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Support your local sex disabled. worker. Yeah. yeah. But uh, are there other resources that you really love or that have been really helpful for you? I love tripping it up with Eva. Mm-hmm. Evan, I think mm-hmm. now is their name. They were Eva, they're now Evan. They do great work. I think okay. they're in Washington. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were in LA, but yeah. they do very similar work to me around queerness and disability. I love their work. Really, anybody who has the, the guts to put their life out there about disability, I say keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, visibility. Yeah. Can you um give a shameless plug to your work? Uh, I, your podcast is amazing. You consult. Please tell everyone about. Yeah. It. So I do my hands are and everything. Um, one of the big things I did last year was I was a, a production consultant for the reboot of Queers Folk. I nice. was lucky enough to be approached by the team to read all the scripts and review all the scripts and ideas for the scripts like a year before they came out. And then in December of 2021, they emailed, they emailed me and said, Hey, um, you threw a sex party, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we wanted to put that in the show. Did you want to like come down and film some of that? And I was like, okay. So like they flew me down to New Orleans and we shot a scene there. So that was really cool. But then I also do stuff like, this I get to be on cool podcast talking about this. I run my own podcast called Disability After Dark, which mm-hmm. used to be an, a sex and disability podcast exclusively, and now it's like whatever the fuck I want it to be because we're mm-hmm. I'm hitting seven years of content. So I'm like, oh, you know mm-hmm. what? I want to try different things. I'm bored. So now it's whatever I want it to be. And so I do one week where I do an interview with somebody or a standalone show about something disability related. And then one week, I will watch a movie on a new series that I just launched on the show called Popcorn and Power Chairs, where I sit and I watch a disability-related film. Um, And so episode two comes out, and it'll be about whether or not E.T. is a disability-related film. (gasps) Oh, I I love that. (laughs) I love looking at films through other lenses. It's a nice break from all the work you have to do to be a podcaster. Mm -hmm. I love Um, that idea. That's great. And then what else do I do? Very active on social media, talking about disability. You can follow me there at Andrew Gerza 6. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram, talking about everything from trans rights to disability justice to, you know, don't kill black people, things that we're supposed to talk about and we should be talking about. And I like social media because I don't have to write a big essay about why I want to 
say this. I get to just say a piece and then be like, boom, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of nice. I also give talks all over the world about my journey with queerness and about how to make queerness and disability more accessible. And so if you're listening and you want to hire a speaker, uh, I'd love to come talk to you. Of course, paid. I'll say again, if you want to hire a speaker, <laughs> you have to put money up because a lot of people want me to do this mm-hmm. work for $0 and the answer is no. Oh, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, you can find my work at andrewgerza.com. Download Disability After Dark wherever you get your shows. And yeah, that's a little bit of what I do. I realize I have one more question because I find your social media platform just really generous in that you do a lot of education through your platforms, but you also do a lot of paid education as well. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, how did you like discover that you are such a gifted educator? I mean, just the way that you communicate in this gray area, right. That we were talking about that you can hold the space for a lot of nuance. Like when did you learn that about yourself? I didn't really discover it. I was broke and I had no job and I was like, well, I guess I better make, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to feed myself. What do I do? This is about about 11 years ago. I finished school with an MA in legal studies, which is like basically like a master's of arts degree for law, which you think gets you anywhere. But no, it doesn't really. <laughs> it's, a, it's a soft degree that does, I don't know what. So I did that and I left school and I moved back closer to my family. Well, got to feed myself. I live on social assistance. So I had that money coming in, but I was like, I want more. I want to do something. I'm bored. I want to find a job. And I just kind of stumbled across Disability Awareness Consultant as a title. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't anything like what I do. It was like talking about accessibility. And I was like, well, what if we change that title to talk about how disability feels? Mm. Talk about the, like the inner parts of disability, the emotional side of disability. So I borrowed that title from somebody I can't remember where. And I started putting it on a card. And I just said, here's what I do. I'll come talk at your event. Here's who I am. I'll come write an article for you. Here's what I did. And I literally just like cold emailed HuffPo and said like, I'll write an article for you about fucking with a disability. I'll write an article for you about like getting off as a queer disabled person. Like, And I would do a lot of this for zero money at the time. But I was like, if I get my name out there enough, people will know who I am. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate the work that you do. And I really hope that people are going to find you disability after dark your podcast, go to your website for your consulting services and follow you on social. That would be great. I would really appreciate it. Um, and thank you so much for having me on Fuck Yeah. This was, was really fun and light and relaxed and cool. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. I love them so much. Such a warm, inviting person and so willing to be 100% vulnerable, like even what they were saying about how IBS and bowel issues Mm -hmm. is debilitating. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. That's such a weird shame thing that we have in our culture, but these things need to be talked about. And there's so many people that I think can relate to Andrew's life. Something that I've noticed listening to Andrew's podcast and also talking with them today is there's a quality of Andrew's voice Mm. that is kind and soft. And it just feels like you're interacting with someone who's really thoughtful. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they were talking about being 40 and feeling really old. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm sure that the day-to-day experience that Andrew has mm-hmm. is much more grueling mm-hmm. than what my day-to-day experience is. You know, yeah. I would be tired too. And they just continue to have such grace. And I really encourage giving Andrew a follow on social media because I constantly am feeling like I'm learning something. I'm laughing. I'm having like, I'm being challenged around like a belief that I didn't realize that I was like holding that's totally ableist, you know? And it's just like what they were saying about if I yell at you about being Mm -hmm. ableist, you're going to shut down. And I'm not saying that that mm-hmm. is by any means like w- what I'm saying is like everyone should be this way, 100% like interact with this really challenging, fucked up world in like whatever way you need to mm-hmm. to take care of oh, yourself. Yeah. But because Andrew's approach is very open hearted, it's like an invitation to learn more, like mm-hmm. every all the work that they do. And I personally have learned you know, a lot from Andrew. People with disabilities in general are so looked over and so marginalized and disappeared from the culture that I I just really appreciate anyone who uh, gives us that insight. And I want to just try to promote that voice and let people know like what they said about how there's so much fear in the idea of getting a disability, but how we're all on that track. We're all going to at some point or already have experienced physical limitations, emotional limitations, and that only increases over time as our bodies age. And it's almost like the fear of death that we just don't want to talk about it. But also, I I do really think it's tied into capitalism, because it just doesn't have room or use of your body not working at its max levels so that you can produce, produce, produce. Yeah, I appreciated that call out that you made early in the episode about the invisibility Mm -hmm. and the criminalization of disabled folks coinciding with the Industrial Revolution because you think about like high producing society, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, functions better if Mm -hmm. disabled folks folks with mental health disorders, Mm -hmm. seniors Mm -hmm. are really out of the picture. And you do, you're seeing that more and more that Mm -hmm. there is a lack of integration of of seniors. And, you know, we like, you put them away in homes, right? Mm -hmm. And take them off the streets. Uh, And absolutely for disabled folks as well, unless you have someone in your family Mm -hmm. or your immediate circle who is grappling with a disability, then you really have no visibility to what that experience is. So then it's Mm -hmm. impossible to connect Mm -hmm. and like find kind of the common ground because you don't, you're not interacting with anybody who's, that's their lived experience. And so I really appreciate, I think that, you know, Andrew might become a recurring guest. I would love to have them. (laughs) Mm. They're they're delicious. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. Yes. I, I enjoyed it so much. And oh, and I love the whole conversation around sex work. You yes. Know? It, yeah. it made me feel really validated in the work mm -hmm. that I did in my 20s as a dom mm -hmm. also to hear their side of the equation and what it means to them. I felt good about telling them that I think that it is reciprocal and that that's so much part of their sexuality and and just the way that they engage with life in general, even with their caretakers and the way that they are on social media, with the podcast, it's all about this like reciprocity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I was thinking that we mm -hmm. could do a little segment mm -hmm. on accessible toys, sex great. toys, not, you know. Adult yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great. I had commissioned a piece like early on when I started at Love Honey mm -hmm. about sex toys and accessibility. So if folks want to learn more about that, you can go to the advice section of lovehoney.com and find a really comprehensive piece on this. That piece was written by Carly, who is a guest in our first season. Yes. Carly's episode was all about cam sex work. So that's a good one to check out. What are your top recommends for accessible toys? I love position pillows in daily life in general. I actually used position pillows when I was caring for my parents when they were dying because they are way better than anything I found for propping them up. But it's also great for your sexual play because get yourself comfortable and in the position that suits you best. These pillows are not like other pillows. I've not found anything like the Liberator pillows outside of sex stores because they are comfortable, but they really do not budge on their shape. So you get a, a nice basic triangular liberator type pillow is wonderful for propping yourself up in a variety of ways. And then also you can easily wash the pillowcase. So, and they're waterproof. So they're great. And there are some styles that you can insert a toy into. Oh, so that's yes. really helpful for positioning because it can hold, if you're needing something that's hands-free, mm -hmm. you can, you, your body can be positioned against the pillow and then it's not going to move around. Yeah. And there are also a number of other hands-free style toys that can be a really good option. Like I think that there's a Dame vibrator that like mm. has these little legs that sort of like open up and like can be positioned yes. in the vulva. It'll vibrate and you can sort of like grind against it. There are like mounts that you can put on a shower or any kind of like mm. tiled or metal surface that you can insert a uh, masturbating sleeve into. And then there are the C-shaped mm -hmm. vibes, like the WeVibe styles where the newer ones actually have kind of like a bendable insertable arm that you can position to really help hold it into place mm -hmm. and it's app controlled. So then you don't have to be like futzing with buttons and that kind of thing. If you need that really hardcore vibration from the magic wand, what you're talking about with the position pillow is a perfect like way to use that. But you can also do harnesses. Like if you have the spare parts harness that is, you know, fabric and you could use something like that to be able to position a vibrator in just the right spot. There 
there's pouches for vibrators in the spare parts harnesses. You could also reverse engineer and put the head of the wand through towards you rather than outwards. And then all of those great butt plugs that like B-Vibe is making. I mean, there's so many app controlled and remote controlled vibes out there that once inserted, they can just do their magic with little interaction with them. And I think for folks who are experiencing things like arthritis Mm -hmm. or hand control, there are toys out there that have dial controls rather than like small buttons that you have to press. Like I know that Love Honey has a plug-in wand, massage wand that can be used all over the body, but certainly can be used on the genital. It's meant to be used on the genitals Mm -hmm. because for some folks, you just kind of lose the ability to really control those like fine motor skills. And so the dial remotes make toys a lot more accessible. And then I think the only other call out I want to make is that there is a book that Andrew Gerza contributed to called Mm. The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability. It's co-authored by 50 disabled contributors. And it's got just like a ton of words of encouragement, tips and tricks, and just kind of like general information on sex and positions and orgasmic experiences for disabled folks. So check that out as well. I certainly hope everyone listening will find Andrew Gerza and find us on Instagram, TikTok, threads at fuckyapod. You can email us fyapod at gmail.com. We're also fyapod on YouTube. And I would love to announce our live show Thursday, September 28th. At the Pleasure Chest in West Hollywood, which is on Santa Monica Boulevard, there are links to sign up on their website if you go to PleasureChest.com and find their events page. And if you are on our email list, we will be sending out the Eventbrite link. So this is your call to action to get on our email list on our website, fuckyapod.com. Or you can always just DM us and we will send you the link and we'll be sending it out on our socials as well. So find us and come to our live show. It's going to be so fun. We're going to have Tristan Terramino join us and talking about her new memoir, which is coming out in September. Yeah. Come say hi. We'd love to meet you in person. Fuck yeah. Bye. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com. Thanks for tuning in.